0: Now, this series, this People Revolution series, okay, it was born out of, um, out of a love for God's church, right? A desire to see it and it being us as a church fulfill our uh, call to make disciples who make disciples, okay? Now, I know and, and I believe that ultimately, revival um, and growth in a church It comes from God. It's not something you can manufacture. But it comes often as a result of us positioning our lives spiritually where God can use us to accomplish his work. And I find myself asking, and and we've tried to ask you through this series, to ask a simple question. The question, is, is there something in my life that's hindering the impact of God's kingdom through Troy Christian Church. And maybe one of the things we've addressed um, has just spoken to you. But if you've asked that question, God is faithful to answer those kind of questions. And maybe it's something else that he has brought your way. And so to finish this series, I try to step back and say, okay, how can we really kind of make it simple to understand what we're talking about here? And so to finish this series, I want us to think about for this morning, the will of God. Now there's two pictures for me that have kind of resonated throughout my life spiritually with regard to the will of God. And the first one uh, came from a man named Knopfel State, and he's a professor, a preacher. He wrote a book called How to Know the Will of God. And I remember as a 15-year-old, or 16, somewhere in there, in youth group, being introduced to this book which gave a concept that has just been cemented in my mind through all these years now. And the concept of the will of God has to do with the will of God as being symbolized by an umbrella, something that is covering us. The word of God, the ways of God, the principles of God, the things we know about God. If we stay underneath the covering of those things, meaning if we make decisions based on what we know in God's word to be his will, then that is putting ourselves in a place where God can bless us and also where God can protect us. Now, protect is a tough word right now, right? Protect from what? We can't be protected from life, but certainly our souls, our our relationship with God, our health spiritually is in a good place when we stay under God's will. The second picture is newer for me, probably... I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago, Charlie McMahon preaches down at Southbrook Christian Church in Miamisburg. Now, I remember sitting in their service one day, and he, he talked about um, what we think to be God's will versus a different perception that I thought was really helpful. He said, typically, when we think of God's will, we think of ourselves as being maybe this high cliff diver, right? And below us is this vast expanse of water, And our job is to get it right. Our job is to do God's will. And so it's like diving off this high cliff into the water below and diving through a hula hoop. (laughs) That kind of precision accuracy, like there's only one thing that's God's will and this is what it looks like. And if you don't hit it, you miss it. And if you miss it, you miss out. He said, I think instead this was the part that was helpful for me because I'm, I'm kind of a hula hoop kind of guy, right? This is the way it is, black and white. But he really expanded it in a good way. He said, I tend to think more about God's will as this big expanse of a harbor. And we're cliff divers, but below us is some beautiful, deep, safe water. And as long as we stay in the harbor, still has boundaries, but they're much bigger than we typically think of then we're in a place where God can bless our lives. And with regard to God's will, it's really helpful for me to expand to a different kind of thinking um, or maybe expand on that. Now, both of those are helpful to me maybe in different ways. When I'm thinking about a choice that I have to make, When I'm thinking about specific things that God wants me to do or choices between different things, I tend to go back to the umbrella illustration. What do I know from the Scriptures? What do I know to be true? What do I know to be God's will? And stay beneath those things. I find that helpful because I do think there are certainly things that my own heart and mind contrive that are not God's will. And so I need the the grounding of what the Scriptures say. That said... When I'm in a good place with God, when I've lined my heart spiritually with his heart, when I'm in relationship with him and his word and his spirit is live and active in me, like that harbor illustration just represents how I sense my relationship is with God. There's a lot of freedom in that. There's a lot of life in that. There's a lot of joy in that. And it might look a whole lot different than what yours looks like, but we're both within the boundaries of God's will just enjoying the freedom that comes with that. Now, with regard to the will of God, here's a couple things we know from Scripture. One is this. God has a will for our lives. He has a will for our lives. I'm confident of that. I'm also confident that it probably doesn't involve everything in our life. Do you think, I don't think God really cares whether you like ketchup or mustard on your hamburger. Okay? Whether you're a Miracle Whip person or a Mayonnaise person or you can't stand either one. Don't think God particularly cares about those type of things. However, God does have a will regarding many of the things we've talked about in this series. He has a will with regard to what I do with my finances. He has a will with regard to my pursuit or non-pursuit of him in a relationship. As it relates to the community I have with other people, God has some things to say about that. And certainly God has some things to say about how I put my life into play through serving Him or not serving Him um, and many more areas, right? He, He has a will as it relates to my marriage. He has a will as it relates to my family. He has a will as it relates to my holiness and your holiness and many more things that we could talk about, okay? So that said, the second thing, we know from Scripture regarding His will, not just that He has a will, but I also think we can know His will. That's the second piece. We can know His general will for our lives. That's how we determine what the umbrella looks like, right? The principles that are stated in Scripture. And I think oftentimes we can know His specific will for our lives as we apply the principles that we learn from His Word. I want you to turn to the book of James, chapter 4. It's page 1198 in those chair Bibles in front of you if you want to grab one of those. And here James is going to challenge us. He's going to challenge us regarding to how we are responding to God's will. The fact that God has a will is a reality. But it can be a stagnant reality unless we embrace that. Now, um, we've been talking about a people revolution, if you will, for four weeks. And what we've been talking about is that if we want to experience revolution, revolution in our lives and we want to experience revolution through our lives where we actually make a difference, we have to be careful to choose the right response to the will of God. Well, James is going to show us three possible responses in this scripture to the will of God. James chapter 4, pick up with me in verse 13. James writes, Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. And all such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, for them it is sin. Now, so from James, what are three possible responses we can make to the will of God? The first response is this. We can be ignorant of God's will. Now, track with me for a minute with regard to what James is saying. The Bible, when you think about this passage, the Bible doesn't condemn hard work. Doesn't condemn planning, it doesn't condemn um, using good judgment. In fact, there are many places in the Scripture where just the opposite is true. In the Book of Proverbs, chapter twenty-eight, verse nineteen, Solomon writes: "Work hard, and you will have a lot of food. Waste time, and you will have a lot of trouble." <laughs> you might just want to write that down on a card and send it in a note to someone. <laughs> who's, who's struggling with this in their life, right? I mean, the Bible talks about planning and working and all those things as a good thing. The problem in James is not the man's actions. The problem is with his attitude, okay? Look at these verses closely, and you read them in context, and you realize that nowhere in any of the man's planning does he say anything about God's will. It's not that he knows God's will and refuses to choose it. It's not that he's rebellious toward it. I think the reality is just the thought that may, God may have a will for his business life just never occurs to him. Maybe you have, um, like many of us have, weighed out a big decision in life. You put the pros and the cons of of choosing this choice and the pros and the cons of this alternate choice the question is like in your in your list of choices is there ever a mention of what god might want in those choices to realize that god has a will as it relates to our marriages and to our families and to our finances and to our free time and to our relationships and the list could go on the man James is describing doesn't. It's like the person who manages their own life, forgetting to realize that as a follower of Jesus, God wants to be like the senior partner in the management of my life. And so when I forget that, maybe I think I'm going to marry the girl of my dreams and don't realize God may have someone else completely different in mind than what I might choose I'm going to make some major financial obligations as it relates to a house or as it relates to a car or things that I, I want to own or possess without realizing that that may not at all be God's will as regards to my finances or other parts of my life James says there's at least two problems there in verse 14 there are at least two problems with this kind of a view or being ignorant of god's will the first he says is the uncertainty of the future and you live long enough and you realize the reality of that um, challenge the second he says is the brevity of life it could all be gone in a moment are you aware that god has a will for your life if you are then there's a choice to make and it leads us to response number two and that is we can obey god's will when you look at verse 15 James writes that a person ought to say instead, if it's the Lord's will we will live and do this or do that. Okay? Now don't don't read into that some kind of an empty cliche or just kind of a casual statement there. That phrasing in the New Testament um, is describing someone who has an overwhelming desire to pursue life and be obedient to God's will. In the book of Acts chapter 18, Paul's talking to the Ephesians, and he says, I will return to you if the Lord wills. Now, we know as we read the New Testament, Paul dearly loved the Ephesian church, and especially the Ephesian elders. But he's saying that I I will not be back here unless I'm sure that it is God's will. Okay, that's the phrasing that James is giving here in verse 15 um it's it's a christian who positions their heart to say father um, reveal your will to me so that i can obey your will it's as if they're saying before they ever start god the answer is yes like if i know it's what you want the answer is yes now tell me what you want <laughs> and i'll be obedient to it that's a that's a strong position for a person who wants to grow spiritually and be honoring to God. There was a missionary who was translating the New Testament among a tribal group, and, and he came to just a, a halt when he was trying to figure out, in their language, a word that would translate as obedience. And he was frustrated, so, but he just kind of stalled out and he said, until one day he heard a man talking about his dog. and He said, that dog is, just, that dog is all ears. And he said, I had my word. I knew what it was I needed to say. He said, in regards to obedience, he would say, James is simply saying that Christians are to be all ears when it comes to God's will. All ears. Ignorance to God's will can be naivety, but listen, it can also be a refusal to seek God's will. A person who's all ears is seeking God and they're seeking God's will and they're positioning themselves to be part of of a people revolution right God transforming us so the question are you listening to God Um, are you responding to his will have you responded some ways that he's maybe spoke to you during this particular series well one more way we can respond Okay, response number three in James we see is that we can rebel against God's will. Look at verses 16 and 17. Again, James writes, As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Okay? So, so this person isn't operating in ignorance like the first person who just didn't consider God, and certainly they're not walking obedience walking in obedience like the second person this person is just boasting about their pride filled schemes it's obviously their will that they are pursuing he knows the good that he's been called by god to do but he chooses to ignore it and he chooses to pursue his own path right and we've seen this when we've raised our children right we're responsible for sharing with them, for, for drawing those lines, for, for setting the umbrella, if you want to use that illustration. But I think about the lines that we draw, and we share with our kids what those lines are, okay? where it is, why we've, done, why we've created that line for their own good, the purpose of it, and what will happen, the consequences of crossing that line. Okay? Now, your kids probably aren't like this or weren't like this, but my kids were like this. Okay. they come right up to the line because they know where the line is and they might look me straight in the eye just while they stick that toe over the line or some of my kids they would just jump over the line either way and in effect are saying like I know it's there I hear what you're saying about the why but I don't care what you say I'm going to do it my own way that's the essence of this person in the book of James okay in our hearts though can't we all be like that child don't we all have within us at times the heart of the rebel and I think nowhere is rebellion more obvious in our lives than in our relationship with God Because God draws those lines, he tells us why, and in our case, in most cases, like we've seen the results of people who walk across that line, and what do we find ourselves doing? Still wanting to walk across that line. Sin rises up in us, and we say, I understand, I appreciate what you have to say, God, but I'm going to do it my own way. And isn't the result like a completely different type of people revolution? More like a people revolt against God and the fruit that comes with it. Listen, a revolution of obedience brings life and brings blessing and it brings spiritual fruit in our lives. While a revelation or a revolution of disobedience brings death and it brings pain and it brings destruction. So I want to suggest as we finish up this series on the people revolution that the best way um, to walk in relationship with God, the best way for us to set our hearts toward obedience, the best way to set ourselves up for fruitful kingdom lives is to keep our hearts tender toward God. I want to unfold that real quickly for us from the book of 2 Kings chapter 22. It's on page 384 of those Bibles in the chair in front of you. Now, this chapter spotlights a young boy. He's actually a king, and he has a heart that is tender toward God. And so let's think about and pay attention to what we learn from him. Now, the times of the Bible kings, when you read through the Old Testament, were oftentimes of people that were hard-hearted toward God, and the most hard-hearted ones were often the kings. They were filled with immorality. They were filled with idol worship. They were filled with rebellion, and, and maybe they're not so different from our time today, which has a lot of those things as well. Now, King Manasseh was the king of Judah. He assumed the throne when he was 12 years old. And the Bible tells us that he ruled Judah harshly for 55 years. And his reign was a reign of evil and a reign of terror. And you can read about it in the previous chapter, Second Kings chapter 21 there. During his reign, it said that the streets of the of the capital of Jerusalem, that they were filled with blood from one end to the other. Okay? Now, when Manasseh died, his son Ammon came to the throne. Ammon became king at age 22. In Second Kings 21 and Second Chronicles 33, tell us that his ways were more evil even than his father's ways. In fact, he was so hated, so despised, so evil that his own servants plotted to kill him and and led a coup and took him out of not only office but this life after just two short years of ruling. And when Ammon died, his eight-year-old son became king. That boy's name was Josiah. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 22, we see that Josiah was much different than his father, and much different than his grandfather. It says in verse 2 that Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. He didn't follow the ways of his father Ammon, who was evil, or his grandfather Manasseh, who was evil, but his spiritual father David and did what was right in the sight of God. Now, in a parallel passage, 2 Chronicles chapter 34 verse 3, I put it on the screen for you. It says, "In the 8th year of Josiah's reign, while he was still young, so he would have been at that point 16 years old, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his 12th year, when he was 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places." of Asherah poles, and of idols. Josiah was interested in seeking the Lord. He, he had been given leadership skills, apparently, by God, and he engaged in those, and he had a particular burden to rebuild the temple. All these Asherah poles and all these idol temples and all of these things were thriving. It was part of what put them opposite of God, but his heart saw that the temple of God was in disarray, had been somewhat abandoned, was not a part of the cultural life and the center of the social life of God's people, and so he went about to fix that. And when he fixed that, the high priest Hilkiah discovered something that had been discovered, forgotten, and left long ago, the book of the law, the word of God. I mean, you can imagine how bad it was that even the priests didn't know where the law was, the book of the law, but they discovered it. And when the book of the law was read in the presence of the king, it sparked an immediate response. He was moved by it. He tore his clothes. He sought God. He, he sent for the prophetess Huldah, and Huldah sent a message to him, because the land was on the brink of disaster because of idolatry. And he knew it and then here God was saying don't do the very things they were doing and and so she sends this message from God to the king, this message of grace. In Second Kings 22 look down at verses 19 and 20. This is her response to the king. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore I will gather you, you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. Josiah responded brokenly to the message of God and embraced the commands of the Lord, made a commitment to keep them, and the people followed him through his life. Look at the, kind of the epitaph of his life. Turn over to chapter 23 of Second Kings, and look what it says regarding him in verse 25. How'd you like to have this be said of you when your life was all done? It says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, And with all his soul and with all his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. I'm gonna suggest we can just look at three really quick characteristics of a person who has a tender heart from the life of Josiah. Okay? Now, how do you cultivate a tender heart toward God? That's the question. And looking at Josiah's life, I think the first thing we see is that a, a tender heart receives the word of God. It receives the word of God. God had been, God had judged Judah, okay? Um, and, and the word of God and the temple of God, like they were buried under a bunch of rubble, neglected completely. And yet Josiah, when he discovers this law, opens up his heart, <laughs> To hear and receive what it is that God would have for him. Even sending for God's representative, this prophetess, Huldah, to bring a message of God for him. And it's just a reminder that, that hearing the word alone is not enough. If our heart is tender, then it, then it penetrates our heart. And we don't just hear it, but we also receive the word. James writes in James one twenty one, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Through the word of God, we seek God's will. And when we do, and our heart is tender, he reveals his will to us. And we receive that word from him with a tender heart when we have a heart toward obedience. I mean, that's what we found in Josiah. Not that he heard the word, but he obeyed the word. He didn't just hear God, he sought him. He didn't listen to the word only, he obeyed the word. Lots to be said in scripture about that. And honestly, that alone would be revolutionary for most people's lives. To not just listen to the word, but to do what it says. But when we look at his life, Further, we see that also a tender heart resolves to be humble before God. Think about his reaction to hearing the word of God. Here you have a king, a man of prominence. The spotlight is on him. All authority and power in a nation is given to him. And he hears the word of God and he tears his clothes in repentance. And he weeps at the condition of his own life and certainly at the condition of his nation. He recognizes his status Before the king of the universe, most of us can get there. But he also recognized his sin before a righteous God. And that takes a different kind of tender heart. Humility requires that we see God as greater than we are. And that we are actually dependent on him for everything. That's why he tore his clothes. That's why he was broken before God. Like, we like to be independent. And if we're honest, we also like to overlook our own sin, even though we can pick it out pretty good in other people. And it's only when we recognize our dependence on God. It's only when we confess the reality of our own sin that we can know the power of humility David writes in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. We want to be in line with him. We let him break our heart by the things that break his heart. Like we know when we read the scriptures, you know when you read Luke 15, like the prodigal could have come home at any time. But the person with the tender heart toward God comes home now. And we need to be um, captured by that sense of immediacy. The convictions that move us to actions. And a tender heart gets us there. God God talks and we respond. And then third, Josiah shows us that a tender heart remains in conversation with God. It's an ongoing relationship, if you would. When the message comes from the prophetess to Josiah, God speaks to her. And one of the things he says to Josiah is, I myself has, have heard. I mean, God hears us. Isn't that one of the most amazing things, amazing truths from the Bible for us? And the reality is played out in our life. When our prayer time, when our conversation with God slacks, we can often remain aloof to our sins. We forget about them or we ignore them or we're allowed to, to remain hard toward them. But prayer changes things. God keeps us close to him. And when he does and when we engage him, it has a stirring effect in our lives because of Josiah's response, God kept him from having to endure the the coming assault on this nation. Now, I think Josiah's tender heart toward God, if you read on, sparked a revival. It only lasted the length of his life, but it lasted the length of his life. And it started that day when he heard and he received and he was transformed by the word of God. What would happen in our lives? What happened happen in our families? What would happen in our church? What would happen in our community if we had a tender heart toward God and toward his will? So we're about to finish this series and I just spent some time this week thinking about the challenges that we've offered over the last four weeks and thought, what is the appropriate way for us to end this series? And I thought, what's the appropriate way for me Not to end this series as a preacher, but to end this series as a follower of God. How can I best position myself to be where God wants me to be so that he has the ability to bless me and my family, so he has the ability to work through me? And I came down with these two ideas. Like if I, as a follower of Jesus, could keep a tender heart toward God and could approach life And my relationship with God that says, God, if you would reveal your will to me, before you even tell me what it is, my heart wants to say yes toward it. What a beautiful way to live. What a beautiful way to approach our relationship with God. What a beautiful way to set up a revolution in our own lives and in our church, in our community. So here's how we're going to end. I'm going to pray. You may want to respond with some of the things we've talked about over the last few weeks. The cards are still out there at the information desk. You could fill those out, drop them in a box. You might just want to take some time. The truth is oftentimes the principles that we talk about on Sunday morning intersect our lives in different ways than than the person who's up here on stage is preaching and planning because God is alive. And his Holy Spirit is working in us, and he meets us where we're at through the scriptures and through the words that are spoken. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to have a couple minutes of quiet time for you to think, God, what is it that you want from me? How can I best live a life that honors you? And then we respond. That's our call. That's the freedom he gives us as his people, to put ourselves in that place or to move away from him and the results that come as a result. All right, let's pray. Father, we have such high hopes for our lives, not just in the future, but in the now. We so want to see you move in us and through us. We so want to experience um, the life that comes from living abundantly with you, the things that happen in our lives, the fruit that happens through our lives, the work that you want to do. May we have a heart that is tender toward you. We have an attitude that says yes to you because we know that you know what is best for our lives and we can trust you with that to follow you obediently. Or position our hearts to be used by you, we pray in Jesus' name.